Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Welcome to another episode of NAPO's Podcast Standout. I'm your host, Productivity Catalyst, Claire Kumar. I am so excited to kick off 2021 with an incredible guest. I know 2020, I don't know for you, but for me, it didn't quite go as planned. And I really wanted to bring you something special for 2021 to bring us out of this chaos that was and give us some grounding, some centering an opportunity for reflection and kicking off 2021 with a renewed optimism, sense of calm and control. And to that end, I have found an incredible resource and I'm thrilled to have John Jantz with me today. He is the author of several books of which I'm sure you've heard, The Referral Engine, Duct Tape Marketing, and there are only two of his many bestsellers. And I, of course, I would love to talk to John about marketing. But what I'm really excited to talk about today is his latest book. I'll show it to you here. It's called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. And I think that it's something we all need to think about. This is 366 daily meditations to feed your soul and grow your business. So what couldn't be better for our audience? Let me read you this quote. Self-reliant entrepreneurs do not consider themselves constrained by their circumstances. Rather, they ignore the call of common wisdom on the way to shining a light on what only they can manifest. So welcome, John. Well, thanks for having me, Claire. I love to talk about this topic for sure. So I want to celebrate for a minute what I first noticed, and I'm what you call a highly sensitive person, about 20% of the people out there are. And when I first felt the book, the choice of paper is very soft in the hand. So actually holding a book is a quite a sensual experience. I'm someone who's actually refused to read a book that my book club chose because the paper was too rough. So I just wanted to note that, and this is being a daily companion for the year, you've included a ribbon. So there's very thoughtful things in the production of the book. And of course, what you see first is the color orange, which you know I love. It's in my brand colors, which are pink and orange. It's always symbolized to me a real sense of energy, creativity, and entrepreneurial spirit. So I wonder if you could talk about a little bit about the format of the book and some of those first impressions before we get into the real content and all the wisdom in there. Well, you bet. So orange is actually one of my brand colors as well, orange and blue for me. And so that was a conscious choice. And I demanded the ribbon because I actually have read a number of daily books that have that ribbon. And I really enjoy it. I mean, a lot of spiritual books, many Bibles, for example, have ribbons in them, I think, because people do come to them as a daily practice. So it's a great place finding device. I must admit the paper choice I had really no say in. <laughs> that was a manufacturing choice that was made somewhere by somebody other than me. But in terms of the format of the book, it is, as you noted, I mean, a calendar style book. I even put in uh, Leap Year, which we had last year, but or Leap Day, I guess I should say, that we had last year. So that's the 366. Every day has essentially three elements. The first is a 
reading from some mid-19th century literature that I curated, and we can talk about why that particular literature. And then I take, I don't know, 100, 150 words each day to kind of contextualize it maybe from my journey. And then I leave you every day with something I call a challenge question, or it's essentially just a question to be hopefully somewhat thought-provoking. And then you're on your way, 90 seconds or so to have what my hope is, is some inspiration and reflection. And then whatever else it is that you do to get yourself steeled for the day as an entrepreneur. A couple of words you've said, I love that you demanded the ribbon. So that knowing what's important and then asking for it is super powerful. And then you just said, steeled yourself for the day. I think what I love about the format and the fact that you end with a question and what you present is they're profound topics to dive into is this opportunity and invitation for, I call it tuning in before you lean in. So you anchor into the self again to figure out where are you going to invest your time, energy and resources. And so I got this book a few weeks ago and it's not a book to rush through. This is like to prepare for an interview. You're like, I got to read the book, but it's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. So I realized this is going to be definitely part of my daily journey going forward because it's just like you said, it's an easy amount to digest in the morning. Now, because you're using prose from the mid 1800s, it's writing that we're not used to. So that forced me to slow down and read it because there's poetry and prose in there. And then you, and you contextualize it, as you said, with your experience and then ask this provocative question. So I just applaud the format. I did want to know what lit you up about these transcendentalists and what connection do they have to entrepreneurialism today? It's something I've always been deeply connected to. I remember in starting my business almost 30 years ago, I realized that entrepreneurship is a bit of a awesome personal development program, <laughs> if you let it be. And so I just started really reading everything to work on myself. I mean, I felt like that was a good path to try to grow my business. And I came across a quote from a Ralph Waldo Emerson essay. I think it might be in self-reliance actually, but it's always been something that I've held to. There is no object so foul that intense light cannot make beautiful. That's like Shrek, isn't it? <laughs> Shrek or Beauty and the Beast? Like that. that would be the Disney version. Or... Exactly. But it really kind of framed how I view the world in that you have to trust yourself thoroughly enough that you can see the good or the empathy in others. And so that really kind of led me to dive deeper into, I even printed t-shirts with that saying on them, kind of led me into deeper into looking into that vein of literature. And it's always been, I mean, I love Thoreau. It's always been literature. I mean, some of the Moby Dick, Scarlet Letter, Little Women, I mean, all came from that period. We're all asked to read that literature and it stood the test of time. And I think a lot of it has to do with a bit of what was going on at least in America at the time. I mean, we were, if you think about the 1850s, we were on the cusp of the Civil War. Women were just first starting to march in the streets to get the right to vote. We were trying to abolish the legal act of human slavery. And so it was the first really countercultural period in America where people were starting to rise up and say, maybe we don't need to listen to our elders. Maybe we don't have to just follow the well-worn path. I mean, maybe we need to think for ourselves. And I personally... Of course, some of that was very overt. I mean, Thoreau was civil disobedience and even was self-reliance from Emerson. But it was even the first time you started seeing protagonists in literature that were suggesting this may cost me everything. 
but I have to be me. I have to do me. And I just think that that's still 150 years or 170 years later is tremendous advice for entrepreneurs. And so that's why I really went in and mined that whole vein of literature because there was so much of it when I got into it. And so many female authors that many people have not heard of because they certainly didn't really get the spotlight at that time. But most of the literature had, or at least there was a great deal of the literature that had kind of this theme that ran through it. And when you read some of the texts today, yes, some of them have some kind of old English words and Emily Dickinson's a lot of work with the poetry, but there are a lot of comments and readings that you read that today and you'd have to believe it was written now instead of 150 years ago. Yeah. From somebody who understands the world. I mean, in 2020, we did see a lot of social unrest and uprising and the value that a belief that things don't have to be as they have been. And I think for the first time, I'm seeing much more in diversity and inclusion really infiltrating in the corporate world. We've had it as a priority message in this podcast and in our organization as well. So, and there's more to do. So I think it might be a timeless concept. There's a big connection to nature. And how does that play into this entrepreneurial spirit and stealing ourselves or cocooning ourselves or whatever the word might be? You mentioned the word transcendentalist, and that was just a label applied to some writers and thinkers who were really bringing in, I think, some ancient Eastern wisdom into the writing of this kind of pioneering America at the time. And so one of the big tenets was really that we're all connected, all living things, all creatures, all beings, all trees, that we're all sort of connected in this big giant soup, and that our job really is to just find our place is not to copy somebody else or take this well-worn path. It's to find our unique place because we are completely unique, but then still really connected to each other. And so Thoreau, of course, was probably the most noted of folks that wrote during that time period about nature. But Emerson's got an amazing essay called Nature. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. I grew up in a rural community and we had 40 acres and a creek that ran through our place. And so I lived out there. growing up. And now I spend a great deal of my time in the mountains in Colorado. And I just, I'm very, very attached and very, very connected to nature. And it brings me a tremendous amount of joy. But I think it also kind of coming back to your idea of entrepreneurs, I think this is human beings, period. But I think entrepreneurs kind of have a unique place in their daily sort of going out there into the world is it's really the connector of mind, body, and spirit. I think that nature can play a giant role in. I'm just looking at the notes from one of my questions, and it seemed like when I was reading through the book, there were two big themes, mindfulness and following one's own path. And nature seems to be a bit of a glue to that and sort of finding our place in the universe, but then also being able to give that stillness that's required to tap in. So you mentioned you spent a lot of time in the mountains. So I mapped the distance between Kansas City and uh, Cold Lake Canyon. Is that Cold Creek Creek Canyon. And so that's a nine hour drive, according to Google Maps. How does that work for you? How do you divide your time between the mountains and urban environment? So I spend about half of my time in the mountains. And so we're recording this mid-December and I'll be out there for six, eight weeks right after next week sometime I'll start. And so I just go back and forth and I'm transitioning, quite frankly, Claire, I'm going to be there 100% of the time before too long. So I grew up in Kansas City and have lived here all my life and have family here and aging parents and all those good things at this 
point in life, but eventually I'll be in the mountains full time. Can you describe to me what it's like for you in the mountains, what your space is like, what your environment is like, and how it feeds you? We happen to be in a rural area west of Boulder, Colorado, just to give you a little geography where Coal Creek Canyon is. And we're at about 8,600 feet. So really what they call the front range. So I can see out my window, the Continental Divide that is all 12, 13, 14,000 foot peaks to run along there. And we're in a rural area. I don't have a lot of land or anything, but I'm also completely surrounded by granite and lodgepole pines and a lot of deer and elk and foxes and we see bobcats every now and then. Oh, do you? There are <laughs> yeah. mountains there and also black bears. So you, you got to have your wits about you so you can relax and you have to be alert at the same time. You do. I think that one of the real keys, I mean, I know a lot of people think about all these terrible animals and whatnot, but trust me, they don't want to eat human beings. They don't want to fight with human beings. They just don't want to be threatened. And so I think that one of the practices that I try to do is to be present, certainly when you're there, but also realize that there is sort of a softness about how you kind of travel through wilderness. Absolutely. I wanted to share your words from one of my favorite entries that I've read so far, and this is from July 29th, and it's soul care, which I think is absolutely critical for us right now. And you write, entrepreneurs who make self-reliance a lifelong chase often include social reforms as a driving force behind their ventures. This can come in the form of an innovative way to support an underserved population or through an internal culture that prioritizes personal growth and diversity in the workplace. And so my personal mission for, I worked corporately for about 15 years and then became an entrepreneur. And my big mission while I was in the corporate world, which was a, a little bit like bang in my head, was to lobby for greater workplace flexibility and reduce work weeks. And now to expand the definition of inclusivity. So it includes different temperaments. And so this high sensitivity that I talk about affecting 20% of the people, neurodiversity, introversion, all of these things, I think with technology and a different mindset, we can now incorporate those. And so I wanted to thank you personally for those words of encouragement to keep, this is sort of a calling for me to do. Not sure how much business sense it's going to make, but the more there's an opportunity to connect to, to it, I will. And you wrote a self-reliant entrepreneur is a gift to society and a force for good. And I wanted all the listeners to really take that to heart as we go forward to figure out what your mission is. And I wondered if you had any examples that stand out to you in today's world for people who are this gift to society and force for good that you described. You put me on the spot there because no giant examples jump out to me. But I will say that generationally, there was a few years there where it was sort of sport to make fun of millennials. And I will say that this generation, not only millennials, Gen Z, that's coming kind of behind them, quite frankly, I think are going to bring about some of the change and diversity is something that I won't say it's second nature, but it's important, I think. And I think a lot of leaders from that generation are seeing that diversity is actually not just something for compliance purposes, but is actually a gift that's in itself in terms of not just the culture of an organization, but really the opportunities that it brings and the leadership value that it brings. And that to me is kind of the example. I actually have four daughters 
who are of that generation and just kind of listening to them and what's important to them and the choices they've made in their work and starting businesses themselves. It's a very humbling example, frankly. That's amazing. I just had to chuckle there because I'm one of three girls and everybody had a lot of empathy for my dad. So especially when we were shopping for earrings. So people say that. I don't know. Maybe I have a lot of feminine energy or something, but people say that all the time. And I'm like, no, they were actually a lot harder on their mom than they were on me. <laughs> yeah, my dad too. He did have a lot of feminine energy. I mean, his big sports were tennis and gardening. That that was his big pastime. So maybe we came to him. And your daughters came to you as the gift that really enriched your life. You divide your book into four areas, which reflect the seasons, planning, discovering, evolving, and growing. How did that come to you? And is that drawn from nature? Or what? If you're going to do a calendar type book, the seasons are certainly there as a metaphor for the taking. But those particular choices represented kind of seasons that I've recognized in, I've had my own business, I guess I can say I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years. We didn't call it entrepreneurship back then, I don't think. We usually refer to it as you probably couldn't get a job. Anyway, I've gone through those very seasons in different times as my business has changed and evolved and pivoted and done different things that you do if you're going to stay in the game that long. And so it was really just a recognition of what I feel like I've gone through, and I think others do too, that there is this sort of start out part where you just have to gain enough trust to like, is this going to work? <laughs> and that's kind of spring where things start growing. And then generally speaking, you get a little bit of momentum. And I feel like that's kind of summer and you're like, yeah, this is going to work. And then fall comes and the leaves start falling off the trees. Usually there is a place at which it doesn't just go exactly as you thought because it was working. It now is something different. <laughs> but of course, the beauty of that is that those leaves fall off the trees they're actually planting the seeds for next year. So winter is in some ways the resilience, but it's also the place of grace, I think, and renewal. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs in 2020 certainly experienced resilience like maybe never before. And I think 2021 is going to be more about recovery than it is going to be about, oh, thank God we can go back to normal. Because it's going to look different again. It's like, yeah, definitely all the leaves fell off the trees this year. So <laughs> we do need a new plan. So that was kind of the seasons. And then I further gave every month a theme. And that in some ways was reflective of what I was trying to do to give it sort of a narrative arc for the book. But it was also from a practical standpoint, it was also the way for me to organize the literature that I went out and found. I started by just kind of going out and finding stuff I liked. And then I thought, how am I going to organize? All <laughs> so our organizing minds just loved you for saying that. <laughs> and so I kind of reversed engineered it. When I came up with the theme resilience, then I went out looking for quotes and readings about resilience from my collection of authors, as opposed to just finding something and going, oh, I can stick that over here. So yeah, I think your organizers will appreciate that structure. Absolutely. Did you have a number of themes you were looking on and you landed on resilience? No. Well, so I picked the themes, the themes that I felt fit the seasons. So resilience happens to be in the fall. And so then I had my 12 themes and then I went out and started, I could look at the literature now with a filter. I get it. Sorry, I was thinking self-reliance and resilience, but self-reliance is the theme of the book and all these components fit into it. So self-reliance, of course, is an essay by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's probably the poster child of essays for transcendentalists, but it also is one that you'll see on a lot of entrepreneurs' Pinterest boards. You'll see quotes <laughs> from that particular essay because I think it often feels like he was speaking to entrepreneurs 
specifically with a lot of the message there. And it's funny, I've had a lot of people go, well, now as an entrepreneur, you can't just go out there and go it alone and be all by yourself. And that's certainly not, I mean, if you Google self-reliance, unfortunately, you'll find some websites that talk about building your own home and killing your own food and doing stuff. Right. Thinking you don't need anybody. Exactly. And and what Emerson actually meant by that was that we're all connected and that self-reliance is really about self-trust. And when you trust yourself thoroughly and your ideas and your path that you're on so thoroughly, you can extend that trust to others. And so you do. And I mean, any entrepreneur will tell you that if they're being honest, any level of success they may achieve comes with a great deal of support from others. And so that's an element that I've had to sort of kind of bat down in a lot of interviews is that, no, it's just the opposite of what you're thinking. Truly self-reliant people are able to rely on and choose the path and make their choices, not because somebody else said something or because they were looking at somebody else's success. They're able to offer trust or empathy to really pretty much everywhere they go. I love that. Thank you for connecting back to that self-trust, because that's one of the things I wanted to understand a little bit. If self-trust is part of the challenge here, how do you see that manifesting? Like, What are entrepreneurs doing that they're not getting to that place of trusting themselves and listening to intuition. There's some business decisions I've made where I'm like, oh, if only I'd listened to that voice that was saying, this is probably a bad idea. So one of the things they're doing is participating on Facebook. A lot of what we see out there, how many times you've gone and it's like, you and I are in a group of speakers and it's every now and then people will get on there and talk about the success and show the picture of them talking to 30,000 people. It's really easy to kind of go, how come I can't do that? How come I haven't achieved that? So that I think is hard on a lot of people. And the other, you mentioned this idea of intuition, that one of the things that I think experience teaches you is how often something didn't work out the way you wanted it to. And you stressed out about that. And you thought, oh, that was terrible. And then like all of a sudden, like this next opportunity comes along only because that other thing didn't work out. And I think that that happens enough and you witness it and you recognize it you really can start to develop this sense of, I guess that just wasn't meant to be. So that means something great is coming. I did some executive coach training a few years ago. And one of the big concepts was not attaching to the outcome. And that was one of the most powerful things to carry forward because yeah, then you can say, well, I guess that wasn't meant to be. And then do that tuning in and then hopefully steer in a maybe better direction going forward. That's really the value of this idea of mindfulness. A lot of people talk about present moment mindfulness, and they think about it in terms of kind of being the Zen monk kind of idea. And it's really more about just letting go of the things you can't control, (laughs) because there's only a couple of things, how we show up and how we respond (laughs) to everything that happens. That's the only things we can control. That's right. Yet we worry about the weather and we worry about, I wonder if this doesn't happen. I wonder if I don't get this sale. And when you kind of get to the point where you can start letting go of that, I think that the joy will return to your journey. That's a profound thought to end with. Before we finish this interview, you mentioned that today is one of your favorite posts. And would you do us the honor of perhaps reading from today? This is a lot of fun for me. This is actually my sixth book. And I've never had a book where I could do readings. I've always loved those you see in the movies, the author standing up there doing a reading. And I've never really had a book that was suited to that. So it's been fun for me to do this. So you and I are recording this on December 18th. And so December 18th's title is To the Morning. It was the cool gray dawn, and there was a delicious sense of repose and peace in the deep pervading calm and silence of the woods. Not a leaf stirred, not a sound obtruded upon 
great nature's meditation. Gradually, the cool, dim gray of the morning whitened and as gradually sounds multiplied and life manifested itself. The marvel of nature shaking off sleep and going to work unfolded itself to the musing boy. All nature was awake, wide awake and stirring now. Long lances of sunlight pierced down through the dense foliage far and near. That is one of my favorite writers, Mark Twain, from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So he's talking about Tom waking up in the morning after sleeping outside under the stars. Good morning, even if it's not morning where you are now. Entrepreneurs famously code and write and design late into the night and often miss what Twain so mystically describes in today's reading. Morning comes on slowly as our days should. Morning allows us to choose the tone for our day. Morning affords the weightlessness to decide our priorities. Morning allows the space to make decisions about how we want our day to unfold, including when we want it to be done. There's a Dan Fogelberg song titled To the Morning that includes these inspiring lyrics. And it's going to be a day. There's really no way to say no to the morning. The morning is our chance to restart every day. It's our time. It's our family's time. You'll give plenty away today to your business and to others. But start today, even for just a moment, with a delicious sense of repose and peace in the deep pervading calm and silence. Now, coffee. So your question for the day, what time would you need to get up in order to have 30 minutes of me time every morning? How can you make that happen? What would make you look forward to it? Love that. Okay. I'm going to say now tea because that's my morning ritual, but I love this too, because my Instagram post for today actually was getting back in touch with a morning ritual, my swimming pool closed recently. And I miss it because without question, every day was just put on my bathing suit, take the elevator down and jump into the pool. And with that disrupted, I've been working at landing on what is it going to look like now? So I got my yoga mat out and it was a sunny morning. And that again, so I like this sense of a slow unfold. Maybe we'll just close with one final question. What's your morning ritual then? <laughs> so I get up most mornings at 5 a.m. and I do make coffee first. I will say that. I typically meditate every day for about 20 minutes. I do read something that I find inspirational. And I, years and years and years ago, picked up a book called The Artist's Way that talked about something that she referred to as morning pages. And so I write some gibberish. It's what it usually turns out to be every morning as well. And then I do try to incorporate some sort of exercise, even if it's just stretching or yoga, as you said. But I try to do that pretty much every day. I mean, that's been the last few years when I had kids at home and routine is whatever you can <laughs> squeeze in. But now I'm almost very guarded of that time. <laughs> and so I really make sure that I take it. But it's something I've been doing for years. I love your question. What do you want your ritual to be and what do you need to make it happen? So if you need to go to bed half an hour earlier to give you that time in the morning, then definitely do that. To me, I mean, that's why I love probably that reading today. There's something about morning. It's just a magical time. And I think some of it is because no matter how hard yesterday was, no matter how you couldn't sleep because you're not sure what's going to happen today, there's something about this like push the restart button is what you have every morning. It's a sense of opportunity. Well, you've given us a wonderful restart button, not only for the morning, but for the whole year. So John, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I hope everybody has really profited from some of these ideas and will think of making the self-reliant entrepreneur your companion, your soulful guide, 
your trigger for self-reflection and living a wonderful 2021 and beyond. So this has been another episode of Standout. I'm Claire Kumar, your host. Until the next episode, and you can find all the episodes on napopodcast.com, please do take care of yourself, enjoy the journey, and stay safe. That's all for today's episode of Standout, brought to you by NAPO the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.